Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome one and all to Storybox, the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning, growth, and you want to improve your life. My name is Jay Phantom and I've made it my purpose to unbox and share the amazing stories from people of every profession all over the world. I am truly grateful that you have decided to listen in today. Now let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Breathe in, breathe out. My friends, welcome back to the Storybox podcast. Have I got a guest for you today? This is going to be one of the most fascinating interviews that I have released so far in 2021. Now, I wanted to do this in 2021 because it is a new year, uh, new health uh, goals and revelations and that sort of thing. And this is definitely no exception to that rule because my next guest is going to teach you how to come back to breathing properly from we have actually lost the capability of breathing properly and what that really looks like. And and my next guest today is going to help us get back to um, really breathing the best way possible. And his name is James Nestor. James is a lot of fun. Uh, he's very, very enthusiastic with what he does and very passionate about what he does. He is an author and a journalist who has written for the Scientific American outside the New York Times, the Atlantic, National Public Radio, the San Francisco Chronicle, and his latest book, Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art, was released on the 26th of May, 2020, which is a little bit of a while ago now. I have my own copy right here. I have to say I have only reached the second chapter and I've written so many notes already. Like that is how in-depth um, this book is and I highly encourage you guys to get it. Not only that, it became an instant New York Times and London Sunday Times bestseller. Now, if this will interest you, Breath explores how the human species has lost the ability to breathe properly. This sounds almost impossible, but it is true. Snoring, we have sleep apnea, we have asthma, allergies, and even autoimmune diseases. Yes, that plays a factor, and you'll hear why in this interview, are among the most prevalent diseases 
in the modern world. And we all, and all of them can be either exacerbated or sometimes caused um, by poor breathing. James Nestor has spent years in laboratories and ancient burial sites around the world working with researchers at Stanford University of Pennsylvania and other institutions to find out what went wrong with our breathing and how we can fix it. And the good news is we can fix it. Breath uh, has been also been translated into more than 30 languages um, in 2021, which is this year. Now, my friends, this, like I said, is going to be an insanely good episode. So remember to breathe. Focus and listen to all of the wisdom and advice that comes from James's uh, stories, his his um, uh, his his words, pretty much. Um, so, if you do get something from this, my friends, please share it around to your friends and your family. Let them know. Say, hey, we have this incredible episode. Uh, James Nestor is telling us how to breathe properly. We've lost the art. You know, how can we? breathe right again listen to it um i know it's going to be highly effective for many of you it was for me so thank you guys so much for your support i really do appreciate it if you do get something from it uh leave a rating and review over on apple Podcasts. let us know what you think anyway i've rambled on enough i'm going to take a deep breath in and allow you guys to dive into the story box but also exhale when you when you reach there <laughs> and listen the incredible wisdom, advice, and stories of James Nestor. Thanks a lot for having me. Thank you so much for making the time. I really do appreciate it. I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite some time now. Before we dive into your backstory, how this all got started, I have one question I love asking all my guests at the start, which is, what does success look like for you? Success to me is freedom to do what you want. And however you can get that freedom, that's the right way to do it. Some people view that as money, allowing them to have freedom. That's cool. Some people view it as not having a job. That's freedom, whatever. In my mind, that's what success is. Mm. When was the moment for you that you realized that success was freedom to be able to do these things? Was it a catalyst moment somewhere in your life or was it been like this gradual thing over time? Well, I lived a very conventional lifestyle and, until somewhat recently. So I had a real job. I had, you know, wore pretty nice shoes, uh, wore some some good iron shirts and uh, wrote ad copy and uh, was managing a staff of writers and did this for And I thought that this was what I was going to be taking to the grave until finally I started writing magazine stories just to feed my brain a little bit of something. And I was absolutely fascinated by having the opportunity to go into these different worlds and understand things differently. And then even better to go back out and then to process it and write about it. So I did that for years and years. I was moonlighting as a journalist um, until finally it came time to cut the cord. And I did that about 13 years ago, 12, 13 years ago. Um, just gave, gave up uh, all security and, <laughs> and just became a journalist. Don't do this, people. It's a very precarious way of making a living. So, so don't follow in, in my follies. But I'm just explaining to you my, my journey here. I'm curious. I'll get back to that in a moment. But why journalism in the first place? 
I'd always really enjoyed writing. I'd enjoyed the process. If you think about different arts, different mediums, if you want to be a filmmaker, you've got to spend so much money. You have to work with different people. You have to find financiers. You have to, and it's the same thing. Even an artist, you need a studio. You need, um, you know, all this different equipment, depending on what kind of art. If you're in a video art, that's a whole different thing. But writing is like one of the simplest things you can do. It's such a lo-fi art. Uh, it takes your brain and you can even do it with, with a pad of paper and a pen if you want. A computer helps, but you can get a $50 computer and do it. And so there's an appeal to be able to work entirely on your own. That's also a bad thing because you have to be a real self-starter in order to wake up every day and get the stuff done. But I love that responsibility. I love that comes down to freedom, right? The, the freedom to do what you want when you want to do it and to get things done on your own terms is so important to me. What have you noticed about, I guess, for writing and the creative aspect of writing as well? What have you noticed that creativity is for you? Creativity is, is work. I know that that isn't the answer that a lot of people want to hear, but you know, some of my friends, would tell me, oh, you have such a cool job. Man. I wish I could do that. You just fly around, talk to people and, you know, sleep late, work late. And they don't realize that this sounds so cliched, but there is that 1% of inspiration and the 99% of perspiration. It's a cliche, but it's 100% true. This is tough stuff. It takes a long, long time to understand. It takes a longer time to get in the community to be able to do this for a living. So the creative process is something that I live with day and night. I don't clock on and clock off. When I'm writing about something, I dream about it. I don't try to dream about it, but I dream about it. I'm thinking about it all day long, every single day. It's in the back of my mind and I love it. Mm. So what sort of sparked you on this journey in the first place of leaving journalism to then going to study this science or all these lost arts in the first place? Like what sparked you on, on that journey? Well, I, you know, worked in a very corporate stodgy environment where people were literally just waiting to clock off and retire, which is fine. And then, you know, they said, oh, that, that's when I'm going to live. But, uh, you know, it just doesn't work out that way. Those best laid plans. I really think now is the time to do whatever you want to do, because who knows what's going to happen. For instance, if you had a bunch of travel plans set up this year, oh, oops, there's a pandemic. It's like, now, now you're not going anywhere for two years. So another reason why I, I think that don't, don't wait for something, don't wait for an excuse. I think that if you really find the thing that, that possesses you, that you respond to, you should go and do it. So there wasn't one thing in particular that that pushed me into this direction. I just knew in the back of my mind the whole way through that I wanted to live in a, in a different way, um, that I wanted to work in a different manner. I never, ever thought that was possible. Mm -hmm. uh, but I worked at it uh, for a long, long time be before I was able to break free and, and make that happen. Did you find it hard to break free? The hardest thing I've ever done. You know, I had a mortgage, uh, had an old house I was fixing up. I was at the time I was 35. So I this was not early in my career. You know, people are like, "What? Well, what are you doing? Switching? Switching your job at 35? You have this good thing going. You're you're working up in this world." 
Uh, but I just, I imagine myself in 10 years and 10 years after that. And, you know, what do you want on your gravestone kind of, kind of stuff. And I really thought that if I was ever going to go for this, I had to do it at that time. I was already running out of time, really. I had to cut the cord and, and make it happen. And uh, I didn't have work for a long time. I was sucking up all my savings and uh, it was so precarious. However, I was happier than, than I ever was at my most successful at my quote unquote real job. Even when I was sending out 20 queries a week, no one was responding. I was doing something that really nourished my soul, for lack of a better term. And I never regretted it. Mm. That was 13 years ago now. And has your new book titled Breath, has that been sort of like this 13-year progression up until this point? Or when was the moment that you discovered breath and that we had a problem with breath <laughs> or breathing, I should say? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. You know, it was an accumulation of tons of things that happened over years and years and years. There was never a moment when I picked up a book or watched a movie and thought, oh, breathing, that, that's it. That's the book I'm going to go write. So some of this started when uh, my uncle passed away. He was a, a Hollywood sort of playboy and had one of those uh, bachelor bachelor through and through his whole life, had one of those hip bachelor pads with it, like a sauna downstairs and really 1960s in the Hollywood Hills. And uh, he was, you know, uh, in L.A. in the 60s and 70s and 80s and really into meditation and breathing. And I remember looking through all of his stuff, uh, trying to clean out his house and just finding this huge stack of papers on breathing. And he was convinced that you could use breathing to really enter into these deep altered states, like typical hippy dippy stuff. But that did plant a seed. I, I thought, huh wonder what the science would say about this. And then over years and years, I kept finding things that fit into that category. I had a file cabinet in my office. I would just throw things in there. And then uh, I guess the real breaking point was seeing freedivers for the first time in my entire life. I was sent on an assignment last minute by Outside Magazine to go to Greece and write about freediving. And I saw what they did. I was just like, oh my God, if we've forgotten something like this, what else have we forgotten? What other abilities uh, does the human body have? Where, where will our potential bring us? And I think that we've really sold ourselves short over the past few decades, thinking that we're only able to sit in front of a computer and, and watch Netflix every night. I think that there's a lot of things our ancestors could do that we couldn't. And it's a thrill for me to dig that stuff up. Do you think that it's because of pollution in our, in our current world that we're sort of gone away from breathing or is there something more to it than that breathing properly? I, I think it's a lot of things i think that pollution environmental inputs is certainly a part of this so what happens is if there's allergens if there's pollution if you're allergic to dust whatever your nose gets clogged you start breathing through your mouth and if you breathe through your mouth long enough your skeleture will actually start changing your face will grow longer um, which is really, really freaky. That's harder to do when you're an adult, but when you're young, this can absolutely happen. So common that it's called adenoid face. So they actually have a name for it. So that's part of it, but a lot of it has to do with how the human body, specifically the human skull has changed in the past few 300, 400 years. Our mouths have gotten so small that our teeth no longer fit, they grow in crooked. And if you have a small mouth, you have a smaller airway. That's one of the main reasons why so many of us are suffering from 
chronic respiratory problems. We can't breathe. Mm. What, what did you discover the reason for that? Why, why is it different in the modern world as opposed to the past, like past generations? Why do you think that is? This was a question that I had early on in this research, and I got really curious about it. And I looked at the National Institutes of Health, their website here, and said the causes of crooked teeth are hereditary. It's like, hmm, that's, that's weird because about 300, 400 years ago, I had heard that all of our ancestors had straight teeth. So, mm-hmm. so a researcher that was reading up on her, she said she'd never seen a hunter gather with crooked teeth. Not one of them. She'd seen hundreds and hundreds of skulls. So where this really came to a fore was when I was invited to go out to the University of Pennsylvania to their archaeology and anthropology museum. Have, they have one of the largest collections of ancient skulls in the whole world. And I was sitting, this was pretty early in my research, I was sitting in this lab just surrounded by ancient skulls from Asia, from Africa, from North America, from the South Pacific. I mean, anywhere on the planet, they all had perfect teeth, <laughs> every single one of them. And I thought, what the hell have we done to ourselves? And uh, what have I done to myself? I had crooked teeth. I had braces. I had headgear. I had extractions. I, everyone I knew had the same thing. So common people just think that this is normal, but it's not normal. Mm. So you're, basically you're saying, if I'm getting this correct, if we all had straight teeth, we would all be able to breathe properly. It has, doesn't really have anything to do with the pollution as much as it has something to do with the teeth. No, I'm I'm absolutely not saying that. I'm saying straight teeth and a pronathic face uh, are more conducive to healthy breathing. They allow for larger airways, more room in your nasal apertures, more of a chance you're going to have an unobstructed nose because your upper palate will drop correctly in development when you're younger. So even someone with a pronathic face, they're, they're becoming uh, very hard to find people who have this forward growing face. And they're usually models, uh, which is crazy because that's what we respond to that as function because that's a functional face, right? And I'm the opposite of that. I have the exact opposite growth. So even if you have a, a model, if they're constantly exposed to environmental pollution, um, allergens, if they're allergic to stuff, if they live with mold in the house, they can have chronic respiratory problems. Mm. So there, there's multiple reasons why our breathing has gotten so bad. What I focused on was how our faces have shrunk so much. So we're basically screwed right out of the gate. This might be a silly question, but does the size of your nose really help? Like, cause I've got a big nose. So. <laughs> As as do I. It depends um, how those structures are organized inside of that big nose. The reason why humans started, you know, we all look pretty, pretty similar for a long time, for hundreds of thousands of years. And then some of us went north to cold climates. Some of us went to hotter climates. Some of us went to drier climates. And a larger nose helps to humidify and heat up air more efficiently in colder climates. 
So um, that's why larger noses grew um, early on, hundreds of thousands of years ago in North, Northern Europe, you know? And if you look in places that have very moist, very hot air, uh, we tended to grow flatter noses because that was more efficient. Smaller and flatter noses were more efficient, conducive to those environments. So nowadays everyone has air conditioning, so it doesn't, it doesn't matter, right? Uh, how will our ancestors look hundreds of thousands of years from, from now? I'm afraid to ask that question if they're going to be going in, in the same direction that, that modern humans have for the last hundred years. We are in big trouble. Mm. So I'm curious about the cold climates. Now, I've found it very interesting that I can actually breathe a lot better. And like when I'm running outside in the cold air, I love wintertime. I can go a lot further and have no issues with my breathing. But yeah, when it's summertime, I find that I, I struggle a lot. Even this morning, I couldn't really run that far. I actually had to walk because the, the air quality wasn't that great. And um, I'm curious why that is the, the case, the difference between cold versus hot and what that, how does that actually help with, with breathing in the first place? Well, everyone's different. So everyone's going to respond differently to different stuff. So our noses are covered with erectile tissue that can be inflamed and gorged with blood that help them uh, close up, right? Mm -hmm. And and sometimes they dilate and they open and they shift. Our nostrils actually shift throughout the day, right nostril to left nostril. So I would imagine in a very warm and humid climate, maybe the nostril tissues are responding to that. Maybe the air is thicker because there's a lot more moisture. Maybe in a drier climate that's cooler, that's more conducive to airflow through your nose. I know that that the nose, um, just like other functions in the human body, very plastic, very malleable. So the more you do something, the easier it's going to get. A lot of people don't realize that you know, the nose is just like working out your arm. So, so if I'm going to go and lift weights with this arm, it's going to become developed. Well, your nose can develop and become more conducive to breathing as well. We, there's so many of those structures can really open up. I've seen that in myself and I've, I've seen it in dozens and dozens of other people. And how does your breathing affect, like, sorry, I should rephrase the question. The autoimmune diseases that we sort of have in our world today, yeah. how does that really impact the way we, we breathe? So autoimmune diseases, there's a lot of reasons why people get autoimmune diseases. Sometimes it's exposure to to mold, sometimes, oftentimes it's chronic stress, right? And so when we're chronic, when we have this chronic low grade stress, that can either be exacerbated or sometimes caused by poor breathing. So when we're stressed, we breathe like this. And the more we breathe like this, the more inflamed we're gonna get, the more we're gonna get stressed out and becomes this vicious cycle which is why one of the most effective things you can do when you feel yourself becoming stressed is to slow down your breathing. Don't try to breathe more and say, I need more oxygen. I'm having an asthma attack. I need more oxygen. I'm having a panic attack. I need more oxygen. That's the last thing you should be doing. You should become aware of your breath, start controlling it and breathing slowly. Because by breathing slowly, and by breathing less, you actually get more oxygen that way. This is so counterintuitive, but that's how it works out. I ended up having a panic attack in year 11 
and I noticed that I was like, I thought I was having an actual heart attack and the, the actual like ambulance officer said to me, she's like, just breathe. And I'm like, why is she telling me to breathe? Like, give me some drugs, like stick a needle in me, help me out. Like I literally thought I was having a heart attack, but then she's like, you need to just stop, be level-headed in and out, in and out. And you notice that it actually takes the edge off a lot of the time. Like you just become even more calm as a result. Why, why does breathing do that for us? Like, is it a psychological thing that when we breathe in, it calms us or is there something more to it? Well, you had a good EMT. A lot of EMTs wouldn't, wouldn't know how to do that. And, and that's great that she was so clued in. So what you can do, here's a fun little trick that someone taught me, a researcher taught me years ago. You can take your hand and you can put it on your heart. And we're going to breathe in to a rate of about three. And we're going to breathe out to a rate of about, to a count of about six or maybe eight. Uh, if that's difficult for you, cut it short. This isn't a test. So by breathing in, now by breathing out, I want you to do that again. So in to a count of about three, two, three, and out just very slowly. You're going to feel your heart rate slowing down when you breathe out. And if you extend that exhale breath a little more, your heart rate's going to slow down a little more. Because when we breathe out, we're eliciting a parasympathetic or relaxation response in our bodies. So this isn't some placebo voodoo new age thing. This is how the body works. So inhalations are associated with more of a stimulating sympathetic response. So whenever you feel the stress mounting up, if you feel panic coming up, start to exhale longer than you're inhaling and start to extend your breaths both in and out. What you do is you send messages from your body to your brain that you are safe. Because imagine how a dog breathes when it's sleeping, right? Imagine how a kid breathes before it's learned about politics or anything. They breathe in this very fluid, slow way. So if you breathe because you're relaxed, right? You're, you're sleeping, your whole body's relaxed. If you breathe in this way, 80% of the messages between the brain and body come from the body. So the body can tell the brain what's going on. And by sending these messages, you can overtake so many thoughts of anxiety and panic. I've seen this so many times. I've seen the studies. I've seen people who have been suffering from chronic panic attacks for decades take control of their breathing and no longer suffer from attacks. It's the only thing that's worked. Tranquilizers can work for a little while, but they're not going to the core issue. The core issue is a nervous system dysfunction and breathing is the quickest way of hacking into that. Have you discovered that with effective breathing that we can actually cure asthma, allergies, um, autoimmune diseases, sleep apnea, everything like that? So the word cure is tricky. I wouldn't use the word cure. I would say significantly blunt the symptoms of these diseases. Absolutely. There are dozens and dozens of studies showing this. I talked to one woman who is was 70 when I talked with her. She had asthma her whole life for 60 years. She couldn't go out and play with other kids. She couldn't walk a few blocks. 
She was told there was nothing to do. This is an incurable condition. She was told this for 60 years. She learned how to breathe. She took control of her breathing. She was off all steroids, all bronchodilators. She's out hiking. She's out traveling. Uh, I mean, this fundamentally changed her life. Not only with her, there's a New York Times article about someone else who was on 20 puffs of bronchodilator a day and was also on oral steroids. He had been on steroids for so long that he was losing his sight. And that's what happens when you stay on steroids for so long. It's one of many things. You also get osteoporosis and you get autoimmune diseases. He went down to, I think, two or three puffs of a bronchodilator a day after two weeks of breath retraining. So th this is not some sort of fringe crazy stuff. This is you taking control of your breathing. By taking control of your breathing, you can take control of your stress. You can take control of your nervous system function, which is also why breathing is so effective for autoimmune problems. Mm. How have you been able to like what some of the, what are some of the things that you do on a daily basis with your breathing? Like, do you meditate at all? Do you like what's your process like? I wish I had time to sit in front of Buddha, you know, for a few hours a day. It would transform my life. Uh, <laughs> you know, people think that since you write a book about breathing, you're now the best breather in the world. I'm just walking around in a shawl barefooted <laughs> around San Francisco. But uh, no, my, my job here was to be an objective journalist, was to go into this world, ask a bunch of questions, be super skeptical, and come out with what I thought was the most honest and truthful view of this world. Not everything I write about in the book worked, and I've got a whole office filled with stuff that that didn't work that I didn't think had substantial science be, behind it. So the stuff that's in the book is it it obviously works. There's not only science behind it, but you can hook yourself up to you, you can even buy the stuff heart rate variability monitor, mm -hmm. pulse oximeter. This this stuff's very cheap right now. Blood pressure monitor. You can breathe and within a couple minutes, you're gonna watch this transformation happen in your body. You can even buy EEGs and look at your brain waves when you breathe in different ways. So, you know, uh, that's a long way of saying I picked up a bunch of tricks. Uh, I use them as often as I can. I'm not the best breather in the world. I still am on this journey, but this stuff, learning from these researchers and therapists has absolutely changed my life. And subjective input is, is I guess, interesting but what's more interesting to me was when i took a cat scan a year before and a year after practicing healthy breathing habits chewing doing other stuff and, and finding that my airway in some areas grew from 15 to 20 percent you know i'm not young i'm not developing like youth was, was a long time ago for me so it gave me hope for for other old people that like even when you're in middle age you can drastically affect how your body is operating so there's there's really no excuses mm -hmm. On your travels and, and journey of asking a lot of questions, did you end up uh, finding one question that you didn't find an actual answer for? Oh, I have so many questions uh, coming soon in books, uh, at bookstores all, all around you, everyone. Uh, no, uh, you know, some questions uh, regarding breathing. And this is what I thought was so wonderful for all of the amazing technologies, all the amazing measurements. 
they still can't figure out how the hell these people are able to do what they do. Um, you know, they know they're doing it. If you're talking about Swami Rama, so here's a guy that had honed his abilities to breathe in certain ways, to focus in certain ways, that he could move the temperature on a hand 11 degrees on the same hand. One side would be gray, the other side would be red and flushed with blood. They then put an EKG on him, and he was able to beat his heart at 300 beats per minute, atrial fibrillation, on his own accord for about a minute. So uh, they recorded him for 30 seconds, but he said he'd been doing it for a minute. All of this stuff is totally impossible, right? Medically, scientifically impossible. And yet a Navy physicist was the one doing these studies at a renowned institution. And it's all there and was reported in the New York Times in 1970. So the fact that people still can't figure out how these people are able to do it doesn't mean it's not possible, doesn't mean we can't do it. It just makes them very frustrated and they focus on other things they can figure out and publish about. But to me, those are the things I go into. Those, those cracks in science is where I think the real knowledge, the real potential and the, and the real uh, learning can take place is, is looking at what happens when these people are able to really focus on their body's abilities and do things that uh, are just absolutely mind-blowing. And, you know, I think that some of this is a lot of people aren't spending 30 years in a cave meditating anymore. I mean, I hope they are, but they're not on Facebook. They're not on podcasts. And so part of the fun, fun part of my job is to go out and try to find these people and get them to trust me enough and take me into their worlds and come back out on the other side and write about them. Hmm. I would be remiss if I didn't ask this, but Wim Hof and the Wim Hof method, do you know much about it? Like, do you know, you've done a lot of research. Have you interviewed Wim? Um, have you studied his, his breathing practices? Because he did the exact same thing. Like, he, I believe he injected himself with some like crazy uh, bacteria, deadly disease, and he was able to cure himself from it through, mm -hmm. through breathing and that's just, that's just nuts. Like I've, I've found it fascinating. Like how? <laughs> so Wim's an awesome guy. I speak to him every few weeks. He's done more for breathing awareness than anyone else in the, in the I'd say in the past 50 years, mm. he's helped people overcome chronic uh, disease states. I mean, he has, uh, they've been measured their progress. He's helped people overcome anxieties He's helped people reach that next step up in human potential. Uh, he calls it, or actually people call it the Wim Hof method. He didn't invent any of this stuff and he's the first to admit that. This stuff's been around for thousands of years and he kind of cracks up when I ask him about it. He's like, I didn't invent this. Cold exposure, people have been doing that for forever. He was just smart enough to, to put it in his package, in his own package and show the world like, first, I'm going to break 26 world records, then I'm going to show you how to do this. So I practice that breathing technique. I won't call it Wim Hof method. I won't call it Tumo. It's a breathing, ancient breathing technique. A couple times a week, I absolutely love it. I feel huge benefits from it. And the science is very clear on that. The study you're referring to is when they shot him up with E. coli, yes. which is an endotoxin, which can completely destroy you, like shivers, headache very sick. He went 
breathed, his Wim Hof breath suffered no symptoms, and then brought in a group of people uh, against a group of controls that did the exact same thing after four days of training, four days of training, and the controls all suffered from symptoms. So this stuff was reported in Nature, which is the top scientific journal in the world. So new age placebo stuff does not make it into nature, people. <laughs> and yet, I still have scientists, still have researchers that say uh, the, the alleged effects of Wim Hof. Oh, he allegedly did. It's like, what else do you need to do? There it is on camera. Okay, there's the data. There's the study. So I don't try to entertain that world. If people are curious, they want to have a intelligent conversation they want to exchange information i love to talk to anyone even if they don't agree with what i'm saying at all if there is a reason conversation but when people carte blanche just throw out real science that has been done at top institutions where do you start mm. <laughs> you know mm. what would you say to somebody that actually does disagree with you on this subject i say give me a call let's talk start <laughs> If you start yelling at me and talking about QAnon, then I'm going to hang up the phone. If uh, And a lot of people, I, I won't say they've disagreed, but they have been unsure about certain aspects of research in this book. Tumo is a great example, right? So here is this, and this is what Wim Hof does. Here's this breathing technique that allows you to heat your body up and sit in the snow for hours at a time and not get frostbite and not get hypothermia, okay? So Herbert Benson at Harvard Medical School had heard about this and thought it was complete BS. He went out to Dharamsala, found these guys. You can see the videotape all over YouTube, okay? He put them in a cold room, put a wet sheet over their backs. Within a half an hour, the sheet was completely dry. <laughs> and, these, and this is available to, to, and this is a guy at Harvard so, so I, I don't know what else it, it becomes less a conversation about science and more conversation about personal politics and personal politics are, are great. But if you're looking at science, science is about measuring things and conducting studies. And even if the outcome doesn't fit into your worldview, too bad. Science doesn't care. Okay. And, and that's, that's the world that I want to stay in. Um, you know, there's so much political BS. There's so much scientism out there. But again, breathing is so easy to measure. This isn't measuring something like the spirit or the soul. Good, good luck measuring this. This is stuff you can put a few simple sensors on your body and see what happens. And again, for this really weirdo stuff, no one would believe it, which is why these studies were conducted at top institutions by top people and published in top publications. I'm not sure what else you can do beyond that. I'm curious, having said all that and having all this, I guess, propaganda all out there in the world, the political side of things, you name it. How do we know for a fact, just for an average person, how do we know that this all is truthful? Is it because of the more or less the research behind it? Or is it because someone is challenging it to be false in, in the first place? What, mm -hmm. what, I think both. I think the, the first thing I would do is suggest people go out and buy one of these. They're about $15. This is a pulse oximeter. And breathe differently and see how your breathing affects your body, okay? Then check your blood pressure and see how it affects your blood pressure. And then check your heart rate variability. 
breathe uh, in a very disjointed way, which is the way most of us breathe throughout the day, and then breathe at a rate of about six breaths in, six, six breaths out, sorry. <clears throat> and you will see a transformation happening in, in your body. So I would start with personal experience. Breathe in different ways, see how it works for you. Remain skeptical and then look at the science. Uh, you know, I knew that these claims were outrageous, which is why I had 12 doctors read over this book. My father-in-law is a pulmonologist. My brother-in-law is an ER doctor. I included about 500 scientific references in the back of the book. There's more references for free on my website. I convinced the publisher to have me print up these references. Uh, there's videos attached to those references where, where I could find them. There's data sheets. And, and so you can start with that, but uh, I'm not here to convince anyone of anything. I'm here to objectively report on this stuff and you can draw your own conclusions. But it, it, some of this reminds me of, and, and surprisingly, I just wanna mention, I was expecting like doctors just to come after me and say, breathing can't, it has nothing to do with asthma. Breathing has nothing to do with anxiety. And the exact opposite has happened. And that has been shocking um, to me uh, because I had always learned these people are really conservative, uh, but I think the pandemic actually helped. I just spoke at Stanford Medical School. I'm speaking at Yale, I'm speaking at Harvard. Uh, these are very conservative institutions that wouldn't be entertaining this stuff if the science wasn't firmly supporting it. And, and so, uh, you know, uh, beyond that, if people still don't, you know, if this is outside their worldview, they don't want to accept it, that's fine. But it reminds me of like climate science. How many more studies do we have to put out to show that there's climate change on the planet, that there's that, that this is caused by CO2? There's 1,200 studies and people are like, the science is still very thin. I don't know what, what to do for you, my friends, uh, you know, and, and that, that's where the conversation can start to ebb out. I think that's where it also becomes very highly political. And yeah. Of course it does. Yeah. And, and that's fine. Uh, like, like I said, I, I don't want to be an evangelist for, for breathing. I want to be an evangelist for journalism, for, for science, uh, for research. And, and I didn't, none, nothing in my book is, is my hypothesis. These, this is from interviews over years and years with the researchers in the field, and all their names are in there. So you can feel free to look up their studies and, and talk to them directly. Some of them will, will engage these conversations. What do you think the future of breathing as a society, where do you think that is headed? Well, that's a really good question, and it's a hard question. This stuff is easy. It's free, it's available to everyone. So whether or not you use it is up to you. No one can make you use it. I think with increased awareness, uh, something amazing has happened in the past few years is we have these things called podcasts and health podcasts where people are getting so much information that they could not have gotten otherwise. Some of these podcasts are filled with complete BS but others aren't, uh, you know, look at who's conducting the podcast, look at who's on, look at the scientific references behind what, what they're saying. But this is a wonderful way of disseminating information directly to people that we have not had in the past. Mm -hmm. So what I spend so many years doing is digging through these awful medical libraries. I'm in the stacks where no one's been for years and it's dusty 
and reading through these papers with these titles that are 30 words long, uh, just awful stuff, and try to translate that stuff into, into regular English. Um, so, you know, it's there. Uh, I think the future of breathing could be bright if we if we are willing to take it, just like the future of nutrition could be very bright for people. But in our country, you've got 40% of the population obese, like beyond overweight. So it just comes, uh, I think it really comes down to a matter of will. Do you want to improve your health? Do you want to help your body live longer? Do you want to be happier? Do you want to take charge of stuff? Some people absolutely do. Now the resources are there for them. Some people don't, and I'm not sure what to, what to do for them. They, they got to come around. You raise a very interesting point there real quick about people that are obese. Now I'm curious, is this kind of information or this kind of technique of breathing, is that more available to people that are obese or just regular normal sized people like myself? Can it work on both? Absolutely, everybody. What I focused on in the center of the book, which is really the core of the book, is here is stuff that doesn't matter if you're an asthmatic, doesn't matter if you have anxiety, doesn't matter if you're an ultra marathoner, doesn't matter if you're just a dude who sits behind a desk all day. Here is stuff that everyone needs to do to in order to, to celebrate and, and better health. Uh, this is the foundation of breathing, which is the foundation of health. And that's to breathe through your nose as often as you can, especially at night, all the time, okay? Nasal breathing. Breathe slowly, breathe lightly, and breathe a little deeper. Breathe less, okay? And exhale fully. And this is something that will benefit everybody. Then if you've mastered that, you can get into the weirdo crap, uh, the Wim Hof stuff, <laughs> um, you know, holotropic breath work, Sudarshan Kriya. Sometimes people who have... It, it, very severe problems where these lighter methods just don't seem to give them that push. They can go directly into these harder methods, but it's going to take a lot more time and effort. Wim Hof is not easy. Like sitting in an ice bath for five minutes, it ain't easy. I suggest people go slow, but if people really want that baptism by fire, you can fast forward. Mm -hmm. So, you know, especially people with, with obesity, and this is what's so sad um, and cruel is, they have limited lung capacity because so much is pushing against their lungs. So without being able to breathe these full and enriching breaths, it's actually harder to burn fat. So they tend to burn anaerobically instead of aerobically. You need to burn fat aerobically, not anaerobically. So there's, you know, you can lose weight, that can help, but you can also learn these breathing techniques, which I firmly believe can help you lose weight more efficiently. And so I would really start, as I mentioned in the book, you can eat the right foods, you can exercise. If you're not breathing correctly, you're never, ever really going to be healthy. And I really believe that's true. Wow. I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. So fascinating diving into all this. A um, couple more final questions because uh, I want to be respectful of your time. Sure. Um, what has been the worst piece of advice you have ever received in your life? And did you take it on board? <sighs> yeah, I mean, I heard from teachers, I was quite a little ass growing up, a real smart ass in class. 
But where, where I grew up, which was a very conservative place, people think California is all just like good vibes and you know, with <laughs> bell, bell bottoms and VW bugs and, and surfing and surfing was a part of the picture. But Southern California is an extremely conservative, very conservative place. So when I was growing up, the whole name of the game was just quietly do your job. Life is a pain in the ass. You have to keep your head down. You have to keep going forward. It'll be over soon enough. <laughs> You'll die. You'll be okay. And this was basically instilled in everyone in various ways of like, don't like your job? Too bad. We all got to work. Don't like your life? Too bad. Life sucks. And, uh, you know, at a young age, I moved up to Northern California, which has a different view of life and the potential of life. And it was a really smart thing, much more open-minded people. So don't take that advice. You, you really need to follow your heart. I mean, that, that's what living's for. You know, it's not just about squeaking by. It's about actually contributing to, to life on this planet, at least in my view, and helping other people out and having a good time doing it. I mean, that's, that's really the secret sauce. Do you have any regrets at all? I have regrets all the time, man. Constant, constant regrets. But I find by learning from those regrets to make sure you don't repeat the same mistakes is a valuable lesson to say that oh, I've never had any regrets. It's just all been smooth sailing, every decision. I make terrible decisions all day, every day, mm -hmm. but hopefully I will make fewer of those decisions later on in life because you learn and you're able to be flexible. Mm. What is currently a big fear that is plaguing your mind right now? <laughs> well, this sounds real cliche, but that this freaking pandemic is just gonna keep keep going. I built my life around being able to travel, to experience different things. I mean, that's what journalists do, right? Um, I'm really excited to dip into a new book, to start some other projects, but that requires me to travel. And I so I know that there's people that are so much more worse off, all the healthcare workers, I mean, healthcare workers in, in my family, and all of this sounds so, so trite. I understand that. But from a personal perspective, I really miss that connection with, with other people and that, that experience and getting out into the world. Mm. Well, I hope it all ends very, very soon, to be honest with you, because I'm sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, me, and, you know, 7 billion other people are probably pretty sick of it at this time. Um, James, my final question for you, this is my all time favorite question. It's a hypothetical one. So you're going to have to imagine with me. Um, so, just picture for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100 and your friends have decided to put together a film for you, the James Nestor film. Uh, we can't title it Breath, but we'll title it just James Nestor. Um, and they've been able to get everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how they got it all. We'll call it magic. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday in the form of a film. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? I want that film to say one thing, that ambition is the last refuge of failure. And I want that film to look like the first half of the film, Altered States, because that first half of that film is the most beautiful thing in the world. 
Uh, I don't think you need any clips of me doing anything. I've got those in my brain. I've got my friends have those in 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 their brains. We don't need any of that. I think just just those words right there about ambition. Life is not about having ambition. It's about doing stuff. So you can be ambitious about everything in the world, but that doesn't move the needle forward. I think it's about going out and working and making stuff happen. I love that. And where can people find you, learn more about you, buy a book and connect with you? Uh, my website is a place to start, Mr. James Nestor. That's mrjamesnestor.com. You can put a backslash breath there. There are free breathing exercises. I do interviews. I've got so many questions, hundreds of questions from people that I didn't feel qualified to answer. So I was able to con a bunch of experts in the field from, from Harvard and, and all else to, to, to come on and, and answer these questions, which has just been a, a wonderful resource. Everything's free for everyone. If you want to buy the book, um, I mean, it's available uh, pretty much uh, wherever books are sold, which I guess is online nowadays, but support your indie bookshop if you can. Those guys are still hanging in there, so support them. Uh, I'm trying to get better at this thing called social media, um, which is very new to me. I'm old and I hate this kind of stuff, but I was convinced by various people that you could use it for the greater good. So my account on Instagram is the most active. It's Mr. James Nestor, and I'm only posting things related to this research, to breathing, and the other uh, science-related projects I'm working on. Well, I'll make sure that's all in the links below when this episode goes live. James Nestor, thank you so much for your time. For everything that you're putting out there into the world, I've found this incredibly fascinating and very rewarding as well. So I'm going to go and try and practice as much breathing as possible. So everyone, remember to breathe. And thank you, James Nestor, for coming on the Storybox podcast. Thanks a lot for having me. I don't like this part because it means, sadly, we have come to an end of yet another incredible story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on any podcast platform. It's that easy. If you did get something from our guest today, please share it around to a friend or family member that you think could benefit from hearing this powerful story. And before you go, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It will only take 30 seconds and it'll go towards reaching more people. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one. Your support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Fansom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.